You're listening to a podcast from Hicksville Cornerstone Church. For more information about the church, visit us at hickscc.org. That's H-I-X-C-C.org. Thanks for listening. We are continuing to go through the Beatitudes this week. Um, we're going to focus, spend our day on Matthew 5.5. 5. Now, but if you want to turn to the Beatitudes, we're going to read them in full today. I think it's good to be reminded of the context that it is set in. So turn with, in your Bibles to Matthew 5.1, and please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. Bow your heads with me. Father God, as we come to you today and we examine one of the more hard to understand Beatitudes, Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity, both at the way this impacts how we view ourselves, how we view our Savior, and how we interact with others. And so, Lord, may we better understand what it means to be meek this morning. In your son's name I pray. Amen. So let's be honest. When someone says the word meek, you probably don't have the best images that come to mind. We associate meekness with cowardness, with passivity, and with weakness. And we aren't the first people to do so. The Greeks of Jesus' day considered meekness a vice. Why? Because they confused it and often associated it with servility. They viewed it at the same level of a servant. To be meek was to be low. To be meek was when you walked into a room and it was that person that didn't make eye contact with you. To be meek was when you walked into a room and there was a bow given to you from someone underneath you. To be meek was someone that was seen as weak and someone that was seen as lower stature in the position of a servant. They wouldn't look you in the eye, right? And today, to be meek is associated with the person who is a coward. Which means for both today and the time of Jesus, we clearly now have a flaw in the Beatitudes, right? The poor in spirit we can understand. 
at least if we're Christians, to humble ourselves before God in light of our sins in need of a Savior, of course, Lord, we can understand poor in spirit. That's a good one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, we love that one. We'd love to comfort anyone who mourns. Everyone loves the second beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Lord, clearly you've made a mistake when it comes to this, right? But you see, we have to deal with meekness and mankind. Meekness in mankind. Here's the problem. Here's the problem we all face. Mankind does not trade in the virtue of meekness. Mankind does not trade in the virtue of meekness. Mankind trades in the virtue of power. That's how we interact with one another. We have no desire to be meek. So what is the meekness that's on display here? What is the meekness that Jesus is talking about? This is what the Expositor's Bible Commentary defined it or or gave me insight to in this week. This is what it said. To be meek towards others implies freedom from malice or a vengeful spirit. To be meek towards others implies freedom from malice or a vengeful spirit. Meekness is in relation to one another, okay? Not just in relation to God. So it has both a horizontal aspect to it and it has a vertical aspect to it. Think about it. If poor in spirit and mourning has us viewing our sin inwardly, if it has us dealing with sin personally, now suddenly meekness has us dealing with our sin at a horizontal level. It's one thing for me to come to the conclusion that I'm broken. It's a whole different ballgame when someone points it out to me. Right? When I was in college, I was a tour guide at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Not Chapel Hill, not Greensboro, not Asheville, not only the minor ones, okay? But Charlotte. Go Niners. And one, uh, sorry. (laughs) And I would take as a tour guide prospective students uh, on a tour of the campus and I would sell them on the university. It was about an hour they got to spend with me. And I'm not going to lie. I was very very good at my job. Very good. I had this like 50-minute comedy routine down as we went from department to department. Well, our tour guide coordinator, Kelly, bless her heart. That's a southern phrase. We can get into that later, okay? She took me into her office one day, and she said, AJ, you as a tour guide receive more praise and, and uh, compliments than anyone else who runs their tour. Now, if you're like me, I love praise. And while I might say, oh, stop, really, what I mean is keep it coming, right? <laughs> and then at this point in the conversation, the meeting took a turn which I did not expect. She said, AJ, 
you also receive more complaints than anybody else. Ouch. Now here's a snapshot into my heart at that moment. I didn't say these things out loud. Thank God for self-control. But what I was thinking in that moment was, Kelly, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And those people clearly don't have good taste. (laughs) They should go to Chapel Hill where you get scholarships to complain, right? Like that's where my heart was. None of you get that. You're not in the ACC schools, right? That's fine. But that's my heart. When I'm confronted, when I enter into conflict and there's a legitimate issue of my own sin, my heart goes, not my problem. I am clearly not the one to blame here. You can't please everyone, right? That's where my heart goes. So I'll turn the question on you. When you're confronted with sin by a peer, or even worse, by someone under you, how does your heart respond? Does your heart respond with meekness or malice? You see, most of us have a habit of thinking more highly of ourselves than we've earned. And if we have earned it, we have even more likely, we are even more likely to engage in pride. And meekness will be far from us. So here are some diagnostic questions that you can kind of consider. When conflict occurs, are you always the victim? When conflict occurs, are you always the victim? Two, when arguments happen, are we always right? When arguments happen, are we always right? When misunderstandings take place, Is it always on the other person's end? Is that where our heart naturally glows? Well, clearly they don't understand what's happening. When relationships break apart, is it always the majority fault of the other person? Right? We always, we're willing to take a minority stake. But the majority stake is clearly on that other guy. And when those things happen, Does my heart reflect inward or does it push outward? Do I I contemplate the truth claims of my opponent or do I lash out at them? When push comes to shove, our heart's natural inclination is malice in response to conflict rather than meekness in response to it. Want further proof? Go on social media. It's a tool that trains us to not take a meek posture because it gives us an opportunity after opportunity to compare and judge. Consider this question. Have you ever met the person that said a comment like this? Ever. You know, I read a post on Facebook last week and it completely changed the way I viewed the next election. Anyone ever meet that person? They don't exist. Why? Why don't they? A couple of years ago, they did a study 
on the effectiveness of political engagement on social media. And you know what they found? When we see a topic on social media that we just disagree with, we are much more likely to be more convinced of our own position than we are to consider the opponent. Why? Our natural inclination is to double down. Our heart's natural inclination is to double down. On social media, we are more quick to condemn the opposition than we are to consider the opposition. On social media, we are much more likely to condemn the opposition than we are to consider the opposition. And I'm just using social media as an example. We do this in natural conversation too, but because, because we remove are able to at least remove the intimacy of the person that we disagree with on social media, this becomes exaggerated in our hearts. And unfortunately for many people, because it becomes exaggerated in one area of our life, we train ourselves to then, when we get in front of other people that we disagree with, not know how to have that conversation. It's because we're not meek. Which reveals that our hearts are more quick to judge someone else's faults. I can't believe they believe that. They're an idiot. Then to consider indeed that we might have a wrong opinion. Why? Because our hearts aren't meek in relation to others. Here's another very common way we project a heart that is not meek. And that is that we regularly assume the worst motives for those that we are in conflict with regularly. This is especially true on social media where we as individuals read whatever tone we assume into written words of another. We know that language is 90% nonverbal. And so because of it, when we read things on social media, we assign whatever tone we want to the words that are written of our opponents. We rarely match tone correctly. And this is true in real life, not just virtual reality. When we are in conflict with someone, we immediately assume bad motive. Here's an example. Has anyone here ever bought anything on eBay or Facebook Marketplace? Why do we do that to ourselves? Right? I get a package. I'm so excited. It's gotten here early. Even more exciting. I go to open the package. Do you see the excitement building? This is how I open packages. Corey can't stand it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. It's like Christmas. I love Amazon, right? Rip it open. You pull it out. And it somehow doesn't match the description of the item that I purchased online. What is my heart's first response? That idiot turd tried to take my money. That's my heart's first response. I label them an idiot, and I call them a turd. I dismiss their value as an individual and their value, their intelligence. My heart's first response is never, well, you know, they probably made an honest mistake. It's never it. When I see someone driving, speeding 90 mile an hour down Interstate 2 slash 37, my, my first thought is, what selfish person thinks they own the road? Not, I wonder what hospital they're off to. 
When someone does something wrong against us, especially if they have a history of doing something wrong against us, we assume the worst. And worse, we actually think we're probably right. Not just in our beliefs, but morally. This is not a position of meekness. Here's meekness. Meekness considers the other. Meekness moves towards the other. Meekness is gentle and meekness is humble, which are the two other ways that it's translated within Scripture, this word in the Greek. Further, this is why this attitude is so deadly. When we fail to do this, when we assign motive falsely, we break the ninth commandment. We bear false witness. And I can promise you, we cultivate this habit. We cultivate it. Our culture cultivates this habit. Why? Because we don't trade in meekness. Remember, we trade in power. We play God thinking we know everything when we don't. And we stall any personal growth that we would have had if we have had approached conflict from a position of meekness. Instead, we assume malice. Turn on the news at night. I don't care which one. Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, local news. The whole time they assume motive of their opponent. No one approaches them with meekness. Even the pictures they put up, right? The pictures they put up of opponent. It's always the worst one. It's never the good one. We're always trying to paint a bad picture. If you're consuming that on a regular basis and you wonder why you constantly are assuming motive, it's because of what you're ingesting. We got to stop this. If we want as a church to be countercultural, this is one of the areas we can do it. It's one of the areas I can do it. I can tell you that much because my heart ain't meek. And it gets worse. We have a habit applying the same type of thinking to Jesus himself. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says this about how we place our motives on our view of God. It says this, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts of how the world works. And if we have a false view of meekness, if we view it as something to be cast aside, if we view meekness as a weakness, then we end up with a false view of Jesus. You see, there's a meekness of Christ that exists. The same word that is used here in the Greek in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5 is the same word used to describe the very heart of Christ in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle, that meek is also the term there, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. We have talked about this before, so if you've been with us for a while, this isn't brand new. However, it is profound. In a culture that is obsessed with power, in a culture that is obsessed with control, the heart of the king of kings is directed at his people not with the heart of a tyrant, but with the heart of a servant. The servant king was a foreign concept to the first century Jew and Greek, and it is surely a foreign concept today. 
Everything I said about social media in point one, I almost just wrote about politicians, right? No one admits fault. Everyone doubles down and they assume the worst about the person on the other side of the table that they're talking about. To be meek would be a curse word in Washington, D.C. But our King Jesus, his very heart is meek. His very heart is directed gently towards his people. Now, this doesn't make him passive, right? When challenged with the Pharisees, his response is bold. When they're trying, when they're intent on tricking him, he comes into conflict not just with their arguments, but he points out the very problems that they have with their hearts. Yet when sinners come to him poor in spirit, when sinners come to them mourning, what does our Savior do? He meets them in meekness. He touches the leper. A leper is a skin disease. It was very contagious. It's not an animal that you find in the jungle when we talk about that. Okay? He touches the leper. That's, no one did that. The man lowered from the roof, right? He tears apart the roof, him and his friends. He destroys the roof. If you interrupt my teaching in here by destroying a roof that already has leaky problems... It's not going to respond with righteous, like, oh, we're so happy. I'm going to be sitting here going, what are you doing? I'm going to hand you a phone halfway down and be like, call my Amish buddy. He's got a problem to fix and you're paying for it. But Jesus' response is meek. He says, get up and walk. The woman at the well, John 4, that gets me every time. Can you imagine if that happened today? The woman with the worst reputation in town, Jesus is meeting with privately at a well. You think that ain't going to pop up on social media? You think the people out to get Jesus ain't going to post that on everywhere? But he meets her and offers her living water. Even when Jesus is betrayed by his best friends, he moves towards them. He's cooking a meal for them on the bank while they're fishing. As he enters into Jerusalem, the people he know knows are going to yell, crucify him, crucify him. Those same people he's weeping over. And even the very men that killed him, the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross, what is our Savior's response? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is your Savior. This is your Lord. He's completely different from any king or power or authority that we're used to as a culture. And when we see this king, we should just rejoice. For he has come to me, meek and lowly, as he comes to you, meek and lowly. And we should marvel. You see, the very heart of Jesus is meek and lowly. It's the only place in the Bible that talks about the heart of Jesus. And I would submit to you, it's also the heart of the Father God, right? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and the father walked among them. What would have I said as a father, right? I can tell you what I would have said. I would have said, what have you done? 
And his response is, where are you? He's moving towards those who are in open rebellion against him. That is the heart of our Savior. When you repent of sin, you are not met by angry Jesus. Some of you had harsh fathers. And when you told him you did something wrong, you were met with resentment, anger, frustration, abuse, you name it. And I'm sorry you went through that. That is not your Savior. That is not your Father in heaven. That is not Jesus. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he doesn't meet us with a condemning finger, but he meets us with arms wide open. Don't miss that. You see, the heart of a gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins. You can't sin so much that Jesus would no longer want anything to do with you. And if you want the embrace of God, the bar is low. Repent and believe. Open yourself up to him. Come to him meek, not thinking you know everything, and receive the world. That's what the blessing says we received. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the same offering. Think about it. It's the same offering that Jesus received from Satan, up on the mountaintops, right? He offers him the whole world if you'll just submit to me. But what's the difference between Satan and Jesus here in the Beatitudes? Satan works with a power thing, just like we do. Submit to all the power to me, and you inherit the earth. Well, Jesus's form of currency is meekness, and those people will inherit the earth. Satan seeks to posture himself as better than others, while Jesus seeks us out for the sake of others. And when we model Jesus, we shall inherit the earth. Now, I could have done a whole sermon on this. I won't. But he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth to come here. The promised land that the Jews sought after, there is a greater promised land that is awaiting those who are in Christ. It's great. And that's what I mean by meekness in Christ. When I say in Christ. I say it for a reason. If you are born again, if you are in Christ, if you are new creation, a posture of meekness will not be foreign to you, or at least it shouldn't. Those in Christ bear fruit. Well, what are the fruits of the Spirit? And how do they relate to meekness? Let's be reminded of them. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. All of these things demonstrate a meek posture. All of them. All these things demonstrate the heart of Christ. And as a people in Christ, we have access to these fruit. We simply need to ask God to bear them in our lives and cultivate lifestyles that present it. Well, pastor, how can I identify and cultivate a meek posture in my life? We're going to look at these three questions that I think will help us identify them, right? First is, how do I respond to those who are beneath me? How do I respond to those who have less than me? And how do I respond to those who are against me? Let's look at those three things about how we cultivate and identify meekness. First, how do I respond to those who are beneath me? 
When one of your children come to you in conflict, how do you respond? When they come to you to confess sin, when your kids come to you to confess sin, maybe even against you, which side of your hand do you show them? Is there malice of how dare you? Or is there open arms that say, come and receive grace, even if it means there'll be consequences? I'm not removing consequences, parents. How do you respond to employees that come to you having made a mistake? I'm not saying to be a pushover boss or parent. Please don't hear me. But do you come alongside them to help them achieve a different result? Or do you condemn their actions with no possibility of redemption? Right? Let's go back. I'm in Kelly's office, tour guide's office, right? She could have easily said in that moment, AJ, we're going to let you go because we can't fire you. You're a volunteer, right? So we're just going to let you go. And it's done. But her response was to come alongside. She said, AJ, how can we make it to where you receive even more compliments and a lot less complaints? So we gutted most of my comedy routine. It was awful, y'all. I'm just kidding. We softened it. And I still had tons of praise. And there were fewer people who belonged to Chapel Hill. How do I respond to those who have less than me? I hated this section because this was super convicting. There's a lot of times, y'all, you need to understand this, where I write sermons and I'm like, oh, not here, Lord. I'd really not have to deal with this. Where does your heart go when you see a homeless person asking for money? And we're done for today. Okay. I would tell you where mine does, but I'm worried your elders might fire me, Okay. It's their fault, right? They've put themselves in this situation. It was their addiction that drove them there. It was the fact that they didn't listen to Dave Ramsey. Right? That's their issue. And we might be right. But in that moment, is our heart responding with malice or meekness? The homeless analogy is the easy one. There are others that you probably interacted with this week. You might have been at Thanksgiving dinner with that sibling who maybe didn't make as much of himself or herself that you had hoped for, that parent that didn't meet your expectation, that coworker who has more debt than Congress, right? I often have to plead with the Lord to give me a heart like his. And I often have to repent of the sin of the script I write in my mind to justify how I interact with people who have less than me. I'm not saying that you have to have, you know, a room set aside in your house for every homeless person that you interact with, that you invite them into, and you help them get on your feet. I'm not saying that. If you do that, that's awesome, and your heart is in the right spot. I doubt that's going to be me in this season of life, but more power to you, right? 
but I just wish I had a heart a lot more like Jesus's and a lot less condemning and assuming false motive. I asked the Lord, give me a meek disposition to my neighbor. Because guess how we fail to love our neighbor? By assigning motive that we are convinced of before they open their mouths. How do I respond to those who are against me? Well, this could have been a whole sermon, right? This is a hard one. We have all come across people that are by no means meek, right? They're out for personal gain. They're, they're out for power trips. They hold really tightly to their reputation while destroying others. How do we respond if we're in Christ? Turn with me if you've got your Bibles to Colossians 3. This is where we're going to be camped out here for a second. We're going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I know it's a lot, but I think it speaks so boldly to this. And if you're like me, and maybe you have people that you feel are actively against you, and your heart is not meek towards them, but is malicious towards them, you're like, Lord, I'm praying those psalms of judgment against this individual right now. Like, if that is what you're cultivating, then maybe you should be praying this section of scripture with me this week, sitting in this section of scripture this week. This is what Paul says to the Colossians. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That's that, that whole area when I was talking about assuming motive. That's here. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have been put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, here's that word, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against, there's the against, another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, there's a lot we can chew on there. I'm not going to do everything, okay? I want you to notice two things, and then we're done for the day. First, I want you to notice the centrality of the word of Christ. Are you dedicated to gathering with a body of believers? At minimum, that's on a Sunday. Are you meeting with the saints regularly? Or would Hebrews 9 best, best define you where you're in a habit of not meeting with those who, are, who regularly? Are you meeting with the church, which is ecclesia, which is a gathering, and admonishing one another with wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God? Are you doing that? This is exactly what verses 15 and 16 are talking about. Not only that, are you regularly feasting on the word of God? Are you regularly feasting on the word of God? These things are great. If you're like, I don't know where to start, pick up a daily bread on your way out. It's free. I love free. It's my favorite four-letter word, okay? Pick one on your way out. This is a great starting point. If you want another devotional, talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Uh, elders. We got tons you can choose from, okay? But are you regularly feasting on the word of God? Living at peace with those who oppose you will not happen apart from the word. It won't. If you regularly digest a diet of your favorite news station over the word of God, you're more likely to reflect your news station. And we already talked about how it's defined by a status of malice. It won't be meekness. And not only that, do you have a group that keeps you accountable? Do you have a friend you can turn to that you have regular spiritual conversations with? a Bible study, an accountability group. If you don't have one, get one. Talk to me, talk to Pastor Jack, talk to one of the elders. We can link you with people. But let me tell you, the areas I have seen greatest growth in sanctification, while the meeting of believers is so pivotal, is those times that I have with groups of men and women where I am held accountable, and they know me, and they know my junk, and I get to be meek before them. If you don't have one, I can't tell you how beneficial it is for your growth and sanctification. Okay. Second, notice the work of Christ. Notice the work of Christ. How does this whole section begin? I love it. If then you have been raised with Christ. We were once against Christ. Think about it. Building our own kingdoms, seeking power, not meekness. But Christ in his mercy did not leave us there, but offered us a way to have a right relationship with God and dwells within us as believers. And because he dwells within us, we can now begin to have right relationship with one another. It's not just a vertical thing that has taken place. It is a horizontal piece that we get to extend. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not just between me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and my brothers and sisters in Christ, his church. If Christ has been most gracious to me, who once actively built my own kingdom in opposition to his, then why wouldn't I be most gracious with those who desire its destruction? Because it's not my kingdom they're attacking. For my kingdom has been set at the feet of Christ. 
He is now Lord of my life. Therefore, if they attack my kingdom, they attacked God. Newsflash, God don't need defending. He's perfectly capable of it on his own. And with the Holy Spirit at work in my life, I hope my response is the heart of Christ, meek and lowly. So I plead with God for that blessing. Lord, grant me to have a meek heart towards others, those that are beneath me, those that are less than me, and those that are opposed to me. Why? For I desire to inherit the whole earth. You know what's so profound about that promise? You know who gets to inherit the whole earth? It's the same promise given to Christ. We get to submit to and rule with him in the new heavens and new earth. It's going to be awesome. Again, game night's Tuesday night, my house in heaven. Everyone's invited. It's the biggest Monopoly board ever, and no one gets angry at one another. That's a miracle, okay? And I have been raised with Christ. For those of you in Christ, lock arms with fellow believers. Plead with God for the fruit of the Spirit to be displayed in your life. Plead with Him. And for those of you that are not in Christ, that do not claim Christ as King, the King and King of Lord of Lords comes to you as a servant, not as a tyrant. He offers you blessing beyond measure. Repent of your sin and take the free gift of eternal life. For how can a meek king, how can a meek king not be worth it? Bow your heads with me.